Discuss On Air presents CX Plus U. Hi there. Welcome back to regular listeners and welcome to new listeners as well, hopefully. Thanks for tuning in to Task Us On Air. So again, I'll introduce myself all for the first time. I'm Nathan from the business development team in Task Us Europe and my co-host. Hey, everyone. And this is Max joining you from Zagreb, Croatia. Nathan is a business development colleague sharing some insights in what to what we'll be talking about, but from, you know, European point of view. And welcome to CX Plus U the most ridiculously refreshing podcast on all things outsourcing you'll hear today or any day, in fact. So last time we under our banner of outsourcing, you know, your guide or our guide for you to outsource customer support in Europe. Uh, we talked about, you know, the really important subject of managing yeah, cost while maintaining that competitive edge. Today, I think we're covering a really interesting subject and one that's really close to our hearts, right, Max, in Taskus Europe. And that is the importance of talking to your customers in their own language. Multilingual support. Am I right? Is that close to your heart over there in Zagreb? Oh, yeah, Nathan. <laughs> I don't know. Is it close or is it far from my heart? With, you know, all the challenges we are experiencing today in, you know, being a multilingual hub, offering a variety of different, you know, set of skills, languages, but also cultures to our clients from here. And of course, understand experience. They want to be there for their customers. They want to, you know, not only speak their language, but also understand their problems, where they're coming from, understand their culture. So a lot of different things come into play when you're setting up a multilingual team. Well, listen, Max, I'm going to rely on an, uh, an external source here just to, because I know a lot of people out there, you know, when they're looking at multilingual support and the cost involved will say, well, look, you know, do we really need to? Can't we just speak to our customers in English? That's what everyone expects nowadays. Today, I was reading a, a survey that was conducted by Common Sense Advisory. It was in the um, published in the Harvard Business Review, and it talked about, you know, how language potentially affected consumer behavior and some really interesting statistics, I think, that really highlight, you know, the importance of what we're going to discuss is that more than 70 percent of consumers spend most or all of their time looking at websites in their own language and over 70% of consumers said they'd be more likely to buy a product with information in their own language. And this one, which I think is pretty staggering, is more than 50% of consumers said, you know, the fact that they are able to converse in their own language or be supported in their own language is more important to them when they're thinking about purchasing a product or service. And that's a really interesting statistic there, that actually we prefer to pay more, but you need to speak to us in our language. Yeah. I mean, Nathan, obviously, you know, when I'm shopping online, I'll land to a page that's, you know, in my domestic language, I buy this product. Of course, by default, I'm expecting if, you know, I have a certain problem or I want additional information, when I contact the company, I'm expecting to be serviced in my own language. So what you said definitely goes hand in hand when, you know, thinking about your strategy and setting up your customer service operations. I believe what better place, you know, or to talk about this when looking at, you know, your customer service strategy in Europe. Basically, wherever you turn, wherever you go, there's a, you know, different language, different culture. Even people are expecting to be serviced in different channels from market to market. So, you know, really, really interesting more on this topic with you today. Like, obviously, it's important, you know, to personalize, to be there locally for your customers. But, you know, in the background of everything, what's actually happening, what's needed to achieve this? Because it doesn't always go hand in hand with, you know, today's challenges that we are facing on the cost side. So, you know, let's say 
you know, you're a German company and you have expanded all across Europe and you're offering your products and services, right? So, you know, starting with North, like Scandinavian languages that you need to offer, Norwegian, Finnish, Swedish. I mean, it's not every day where, you know, you're traveling and meeting someone who speaks those languages, let alone that, you know, they work in customer service. So in order to set up a team like this, you really, really need to be a well-branded employer at first to attract talent. And then also you need to be able of, you know, recruiting and retaining these people. I'm sure we'll talk more on this topic, but, you know, there's a lot of challenges that you're facing when trying to set up a multilingual customer service operation. So, you know, what can you do? There's a lot of different things that you can do, but let's start with what do you need to be aware of? So you already are aware that, you know, you need a multilingual team speaking a variety of different languages. Okay, now how do you, you know, lead? How do you manage this team? Because oftentimes the volumes don't normally correlate like from market to market or justify having an entire team size of covering your hours of operation. That's like the number one challenge that we are seeing today, talking with clients and potential clients. Like they are expanding to Scandinavia, you know, introducing Nordics languages. They want to offer, you know, more than nine to five, let's say eight to eight. And, you know, they're also seeing their customers contacting them on the weekends. So you need at least five dedicated teammates for each language, you know, to service these countries in the operating hours that you're having. So Obviously, if, you know, you have the funds, the resources, you can do it from the bat. But then what happens in the background if the volumes don't justify the team size? Like, let's not focus on the cost part for now. So what happens is you have teammates sitting doing their job, but they're not being productive all the time. So they're not having these contact because the volumes simply aren't high enough. So this necessarily isn't a good thing because they're being unproductive. They're getting used to, you know, having more free time than what they should but so what can you do to kind of occupy them to keep them productive so some of the things we do is definitely you know we offer translation services for the websites that you mentioned for all the different products that you're putting out there that you can do just one second so you mentioned translation services just quickly within that because i'm thinking of you know you're talking about cost you're talking about able to sort of deliver against all these different languages and loss of productivity potentially because some of the languages just don't have the volume to sustain you know the teammates activity what about digital solutions uh, to help cope with that does a business need to actually employ a team of you know human teammates can they not just rely completely on you know, a solution like Translate Buddy, Task Us, you know, translation tool. What are your thoughts on that one? Because I know a lot of businesses will consider that first. Great point, Nathan. So in these situations, what we usually do is, you know, we try to talk to our partners on what's the motivation behind, what do you go into these markets and expect that you need, as you said, like a human team of people for each language? Like, is it a viable option maybe to, you know, if you're just starting at this market, to offer email communication to your clients and then listen to them, collect feedback. And then, you know, maybe you need a, a like a phone line. Maybe you don't, maybe you can introduce a live chat. What's great about written communication, Nathan, is exactly what you said. You can use tools such as Translate Buddy to, you know, when you're assessing a market in their local language. So one of the things I see within, you know, with multilingual support and is that it's really, again, Something similar to what we were discussing in the last podcast, which is that how do you differentiate? And, you know, I was reading this great example about the gaming industry. When you talk about, you know, this opportunity to do what you're do better or do what your competitors just aren't doing. 
So the gaming industry, right, brought in $160 billion worldwide in, I think it's 20, 2020. So it's one of the largest sectors for the entertainment industry. And I know this will be, this is really relevant for us, right, Max, because we've got so many great, you know, gaming clients that we work with. So almost half that revenue, about 45%, came from international sales for the different gaming companies. Um, now, only 30% of all gaming companies offer any support in a language that isn't English. And when you consider those two points, right, that, you know, half of all their business is coming from potentially international clients, yet, you know, only a very small portion of those companies are actually talking to those clients in their own language. I think that just highlights the opportunity, right? When we're talking about some of the challenges of multilingual support, but the opportunity to differentiate through that support is massive. Exactly. And, you know, Nathan, lots of times it has to do with the industry and the audience. So, like, great example. There is an opportunity. Of course, you know, the gaming industry, when I think about it, you know, younger population comes to mind first. And then it really depends, you know, in some cultures, they're taking English from, you know, primary school, high school. And, you know, you can try to communicate with your gamers in English language. On the other hand, you know, some really expect and need this localization of your service. So let me give you an example, completely different audience. So in 2017, we started working with Flixbus, a great partner of ours. And back at the time, Flixbus wasn't what it is today, you know, this global, basically bus sharing uh, platform. So we start with Germany, which is their domestic market. They were there based in Berlin. Over the course of time that we work together, we've opened 16 different markets with Flexbus and we serve them with 12 different languages. So saying that you don't necessarily always need to be there in the local language, but you need to be aware of this. And, you know, what surprised us is not only the cultural differences. So, you, you know, you would see a different average handling time for the same service, for the same type of request in Germany and in Italy, for example. And then in Romania, you know, customers, they are okay with not being serviced right away. Whereas in some other, you know, cultures, if you're not picking up the phone right away, they're really mad at you and then Flixbus gets wrong reviews. So obviously what we became aware of, you know, not only different market, different language, but different cultures, different expectations. But the most important thing for us is that every step of the way, and this is great where we have, you know, a great partner that we built trust with over time, was simply us exchanging feedback, you know, daily, weekly meetings with their team, sharing the stuff that we learned. And then all of this that we learned, all the challenges that we anticipated, all of the walls that we had to, you know, find ways to go over, we collected all of this information and expanded our knowledge base. Now, it's not necessarily that what you learn in France, you can implement in Sweden, but what you can do is you can look at, you know, what's behind this and you can understand where the problem came from. And now you're aware of it when entering a new market. So not only you're expanding your knowledge base, but you're implementing different processes. And this leads to less surprises when entering a new market. But, you know, the general approach here was we were doing it step by step together with our partner and we were communicating every step of the way. And what we found in the end is, you know, some markets, you need to go completely local. You need to have a team that, you know, the core team that lived there that really is native speakers, not only because of the accent, but because they can understand their ways of doing things. And for some markets, you can simply, you know, for example, the Swedish population, you can service the majority of them with English language. It was completely fine. So lots of different things you can do, but not necessarily you need to go all the way into process. 
like what we said, you can explore things with written communication, translations, maybe English is a good solution and so on. No, that's fascinating, Max. You know, really interesting to hear about the Flixbox experience. And I guess, again, I know, you know, I'm going to keep doing this because I'm the business development team for Taskus in Europe. So you're going to expect me to do it. But, you know, it highlights the importance of having what you call the trusted partner, someone that has been through the experience of opening up markets with multiple businesses in those different countries that, you know, there's no substitute for that. Right. So, you know, I think going through that, what you said there is, is really interesting. I know we're going to cover this later on, but I think listeners would be interested to hear when we talk about the challenges for multilingual support often if they've got the cost covered if they've got the partners solution sold if they know what their priorities are in those local markets it's all good it all it's all come together right but they will then have to actually recruit you know the talent to deliver that support just when you think you've got it all figured out you're at a happy place this is where the real challenges then kick in, right? Yeah, don't you just love that? Don't you just love that? When everything's going swimmingly, a shark suddenly appears. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I mean, you know, one language, which I think anyone who's, you know, delivered multilingual support in Europe before that is particularly challenging and in demand is the German language. I just wanted to sort of start that conversation there. I know our next, I don't want to give away too many secrets because I know everyone's going to be sort of on the edge of their seats and, tuning in for the next session but that uh croatia are pretty well placed to support that particular language aren't they yeah nathan in the last couple of years you know the bpo world here in this part of the ce regions let's call it i mean we'll say croatia but really we mean a couple of different countries that even expand even further than what was known as former yugoslavia right here is so why is this so so for one you know, obviously the costs. So companies in Germany, you know, they really have a hard time retaining talent. And of course, you know, over there, not everyone sees customer service as a great career. Then you turn more towards Southeast and, you know, there's Croatia, Bosnia, Serbia, and all these countries where, first of all, like a cultural thing, it's cool to say you work in a customer service company supporting, I don't know, Flixbus or some gaming company, or, you know, TikTok or whatever. So it's more perceived as a cool job. And like, so that goes definitely hand in hand with that. But also there's a majority of talents in this region over here. Number one, because of geographical reasons. Number two, because of historical reasons. You know, we were part of the Austro-Hungarian and everything. And, you know, the war that's happened over 30 years ago and so on. But, you know, still people were migrating and traveling and Germany was, you know, where we got our bread from. So you would see a lot of different German speakers here, be it older population that lived in Germany for some part of their life, be it like younger population that was born in Germany, but returned to this part of the world because nowadays they can get a high quality of living. You know, the economic state is doing pretty well right now. People are educated. You know, healthcare is not expensive. A variety of different colleges and opportunities rising here. So you see a lot of people also coming back to this region, especially to Croatia. And the third part is Croatia is a great tourist destination. So I saw a stat the other day when preparing for this podcast, 80% of the Croatian population is bilingual in at least one foreign language. Now, north of that, I think 85 or 90% is bilingual in the age between 18 and 34. So from the day, basically like from a young age, we are used to talking to foreigners, be it in Italian, German, 
French, Spanish, Scandinavian, Polish, Czech. So there's a variety of people who speak European languages on a really good level that live and reside here. So that's also one part why companies, especially from Western Central Europe and Northern parts, are turning to this part of Europe you know, for finding a great partner who can support them in basically providing a great experience to their customers. In any language, right? Well, not in any language. I mean, I'm sure there's one or two that, are, you know, our listeners could pick out that we, we might struggle with in, in Eastern Europe. But, you know, that's really, really interesting. And I don't want to, I want to keep sort of appetites whetted and not go too deeply into the recruitment and retention piece, because obviously that's our next focus. But I think we've covered some really interesting topics there. And I hope our listeners, you know, have got some really good takeaways there. But I think for me, again, it's, I would say, do not underestimate the opportunity that you as a business have to differentiate through multilingual support. I think that's become really clear from the stats, from the experiences that you that you talked about in Flixbus. Yeah, do not underestimate it, explore it. Yeah, How about exactly. You? Yeah, yeah. I think you're on point over here. And, you know, I would say do it step by step. If you're doing it alone, or you're doing it together with a partner for obvious potential cost-saving reasons, or by leveraging digital in some cases, do it step-by-step. Step. Collect the data, listen to your customers, exchange feedback with your internal team, with your frontline, with your partner's frontline, and then make decisions. No, I think that's some really great takeaways there. And I've, I've really enjoyed it, Max. I think we should do this professionally or something because I'm going to be going to radio journalism and I want to do it with you. Might be you're on to hear something. Next time we'll do this podcast in German. That's what we, you know, we're talking about multilingual <laughs> support. Here we are banging away in English and you speak Croatian and probably several other languages. It's not right. But look, uh, I think we're sort of nearly at time now and I, you know, I'd love to keep on talking, but I've really enjoyed today and I, I want to say thank you particularly to our listeners again for tuning in to this episode of CX Plus You. If you enjoyed this episode, you can follow us on Spotify to catch the next one. You can also discover more about Taskus by visiting our website, taskus.com. And following us on our social channels, we're on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Till then, this is me, Nathan, and my co-host over in Croatia. And this is Max saying, have a ridiculously good day. <laughs>